Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Let's look at the uh, book of Kohelet. We have a bracha here for the Megillah reading, too. Let's say that. All the brachas. We need them all, right? Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kirishanu B'Mitzvah Betzivanu Amikra Megillah. We're going to be reading from the book of Kohelet. We'll begin reading in verse 18. I, I think that's where my esteemed brother left off. And we'll read from 18 all the way through uh, to the end of chapter 4, capitulo 4, for our Sephardic friends. Then I said to myself concerning men, God has chosen them, but only to see that, that they themselves are as beasts. For the fate of men and the fate of beasts, they have one and the same fate. As one dies, so dies the other. And they all have the same spirit. Man has no superiority over beast, for all is futile. All go to the same place, all originate from dust, and all return to dust, who perceive that the spirit of man is the one that ascends on high, while the spirit of the beast is the one that ascends down into the earth. I therefore observe that there is nothing better for man than to be happy in what he is doing, for that is his lot, for who can enable him to see what will be after him." When we read this, it seems like Solomon, as we said before, seems a little depressed, like he needs some, uh, some peppermint oil diffused in his room, right. <laughs> right? But actually, he's leading up to a point. Chapter 4, I returned and contemplated all the acts of oppression that are committed beneath the sun. Behold, tears of the oppressed with, with none to comfort them, and their oppressors have the power with none to comfort them. So I considered more fortunate the dead who have already died than the living who are still alive. But better than either of them is the one who had not yet been and has never witnessed the evil that is committed beneath the sun. And I saw that all labor and all the skilled enterprise spring from man's rivalry with his neighbor. This too is futility and a vexation of the spirit. The fool folds his hand hands and eats his own flesh. Better is one handful of pleasantness than two fistfuls of labor and vexation of the spirit. Then I returned and contemplated another futility to meet the sun, a lone and solitary man who has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to his toil, nor is his eye ever sated with riches, nor does he ask himself, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of goodness? This too is futility. Indeed, it is a sorry, sorry task." Two are better than one, for they get a greater return for their labor. For should they fall, one can lift the other. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and there is no one to lift him. Also, if two sleep together, they can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? When one can be overpowered, two can resist the attack. A three-ply cord is not easily severed. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to take care of himself. 
Because from the prison house he emerged to reign, while even in his reign he was born poor. I saw all the living that wandered beneath the sun throng, throng to the succeeding youth who, who steps into his place. There is no end to the entire nation, to all that was before them. Similarly, the one that comes later will not rejoice in him, for this too is futility and a vexation of the Spirit. Guard your foot when you go out to the house of God. Better to draw near and hearken than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not consider that they do evil. Better to draw near and hearken than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not consider that they do evil. I want to begin by t- referencing what Zakin Rayford read in uh, that chapter of uh, the book of Yochanan. Very fitting for our time. It has nothing really to do with what I just read necessarily, but it's a very fitting segment because Yeshua in that passage is teaching, and he is essentially saying unequivocally, without any pretense, that he is absolutely and positively divine. That he is, in fact, not just divine, but he's the very bread that fell from heaven. And you have to understand what Jews believe, and I know you, you already, many, many of you already know this, but because like Zach and Yosef so aptly said last week in his drosh, that when you come here to give a drosh, you've got to, you've got to play to the big boys. You know, you're, it's, it's, like, it's like you can't have a minor league pitcher trying to, trying to teach major league pitchers how to pitch. But anyway... Y'all already know this, but the point, in fact, is is that when the bread came down from heaven, that bread is God's holy Torah. It's his essence. It's the food of angels. And the food of angels was the Shekinah of God. You've got to put all the little dots together. We were eating the food of angels in the wilderness, which, not to be too crude, is why we didn't have to use the bathroom for 40 years. Did you know that? There was no... Restroom breaks. That is the father's ultimate gift on a trip. Nobody has to go potty. I'm just saying. Our, our car is like this. It's like a pit stop on a tray. But anyway, I'm just kidding. It's not really that bad. Three girls, though, so, you know, she has a sense of humor. So, the the... The bread that we learn through Jewish literature that the angels ate, the way in which they were sustained, the food of angels is not angel food cake. It's actually the Shekinah of God. That's why Yeshua said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, he wasn't talking literally. He is the Shekinah of God. By the way, I taught in 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 the Aliyah a few weeks ago that the, uh, the, the Shekinah of God was the last man because it said 70 souls descended. And then it talked about the myriads that went into the land. But if you do the calculation, it was only 69 souls that descended to Egypt. And there was one shy myriad that went into the land. And the answer is, who, how do we get to 70? And the sages say it was the Shekinah. The Shekinah was the last man going in and the last man coming up. The Shekinah is a man, counted as a man. Do you know if you only have nine men in a minion, you can count the Torah scroll as the 10th man? 
So Yeshua is saying, when he says, I'm the bread from heaven, he says, I am the shaking of God. And I'll take it one step further. The shaking of, of God and God are one and the same. This is why it said the spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. And then in another place, it says the King Messiah's spirit hovered over the waters of the deep. Whose is it? Is it the Shekinah or is it the King Messiah? And the answer is yes. I'm contemplating doing something for this new year. Because I've been praying about, thinking about what should be my new series. Because we did all the Megillot this year, 5779. 5780s coming around. And I'm thinking about spending the entire year in Brashit. The whole year in Brashit. A whole year of beginning. Because the theme of this year is don't get tired of winning. I'm serious about that. I talked about the things, the projects we want to do, and which is why you need to be committed to giving. And I mean every single one of you. Listen, you might say, man, what is this deal talking about money all the time? I drive a minivan, okay? I'm not really looking for riches. That was a joke. My minivan. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about helping the community. There is a breakthrough that Hashem wants for us. And it's going to require us to be involved. Everybody rowing together. If we were on a boat trying to get it, anybody ever been on a rowboat? Don't raise your hand. Trying to get from the beach to the sea, you have to go through what's called the surf. If anybody's ever done that before, and I have many times, it's hard. Now, when you're in this boat and you've got these oars, light, anyway, and you're, everybody's rowing, right, to get out of the surf. The thing about the surf is, is that you go a little ways and this, and this wave goes, does this. And so you have to really, really get after it. It's hard. It's not easy. Sometimes you have a couple of guys in the surf, chest deep, trying to take the boat through the, at least the first wave. It's not easy. But once, if you're ever in that situation and you look around and everybody's just digging in as hard as they can, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to make it. Some guy, some poor soul is outside the boat. He's doing this, we're going to get this, guys, and the surf's coming over his face. I've been that guy at least once. And then you look over and you got somebody going, y'all are doing a great job. Yeah, mm-hmm. No, heart, row faster. No, 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 do it this way. And he's not rowing. It would be two seconds, and we would throw that dude over the board and say, you're out. Right? Everybody's got to be rowing together. Now, one of the biggest calamities that has happened in the last few years is there has been an attack on the divinity of the Mashiach. And I'm bringing this up because there are certain things that happen sometimes, and you, in a position such as mine, you identify them as demonic in nature. Leads people astray. And there is nothing, like we're reading in Kohelet, the, the writer of Kohelet here, King Shlomo, is saying there's nothing new under the sun. I want you to hear that real, real quick like. There's nothing new under the sun. I forget what um, little cliche or something that 
Hadassah, our daughter Hadassah, said to me one time, I don't know if it was groovy or far out or something like that. I don't remember what it was. But she said it, and I just kind of chuckled because I was saying that when I was a kid. And she, and she says, no, you didn't. We invented that. And I said, <laughs> that's funny. No, you didn't. And she's like, yeah, we didn't. She's arguing with me. Like, yeah, we, didn't. we just came up with that. And I said, oh, no, no, so you didn't because there's nothing new under the sun, right? So what we see in Yochanan chapter 6, was it 6 we read? That they were attacking his divinity back then, and people were grumbling, and they were saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can he be divine? What, wasn't Yosef and Miriam his dad? I mean, his parents? He can't, he can't be divine. He's got natural parents, doesn't he? Right? And what did Yeshua say? He said, stop grumbling. He said, y'all trying to understand something that's so far above you. You're trying to understand something so far above you, and you're, you're basing your whole faith on that. Something so far above you, you can't even begin to contemplate it because you're in the context of time. Someone says, well, no, see, God can't do a miraculous. What do you mean he can't do a miraculous conception? Conception itself is miraculous. By the way, it's not the first time that he's done it either. You know what it says in the Midrash? It actually says in the Midrash that when Sarah conceived, it says that the Ruach HaKodesh fell upon her and she conceived. Did you know what says that in there? Wow. Oh, see, y'all didn't know that. Because y'all have been told not to read that, na- that, that really evil book. It has all that evil stuff. Anyway, all right. I don't want to lose you. All right? I want to share something from Lamentations. This is just something I saw stuck out at me. The definition of sinners, because that's an, that's an important definition, right? Yes. It says in Lamentations chapter 5 and verse 7, Our fathers have sinned and are no more, and we have suffered their iniquities. Rav Yisrael Salanter explains this verse morally. Fathers who do not train their children in the ways of Torah are considered sinners even when they are no more. That means after their deaths. Because their children continue the sinful ways for which their children, for which their fathers, rather, are responsible. They, the children, suffer for the father's iniquities, that is, suffering for which the parents bear onus. So the definition of a sinner from Rabbi Slanter's point of view is when we do not train our children to become followers of the Torah. If we train our children to be followers of God, that is followers of the Torah, and they choose not to follow the Torah, that's on them. But if we don't properly train them for whatever reason, then that becomes, my friends, on us. Kohelet, it says in the, uh, in the Midrash Rabbath, Kohelet, to the verse, who knows that the spirit of man is the one that ascends on high, while the spirit of the beast is the one that descends down into the earth. It says in the, in the commentary that the Midrash teaches Abrasia. It is taught in Abrasia the souls of both the righteous and the wicked all descend on high after departing the body. However, their subsequent fate differs, for the soul of the righteous are placed in the heavenly treasury, why the soul of the wicked are thrust down to the earth. The basis for this is which Abigail said to King David 
with, with divine inspiration. May my Lord's soul be bound up in the bound of, bond of life with Adonai your God. 1 Samuel 25, 29. It says, One might think that such is also true regarding the souls of the wicked, but it's not because the Torah teaches us. Therefore, by stating, And may he hurl away the souls of your enemies as one who shoots a stone from a slingshot. Now, I want to mention this because there is a wonderful insight to the Midrash Rabbah, or to this Midrash, rather, about this verse. And it has to do with what we need to be focused on with the month of Elul. All this is working in concert together. Elul, beginning tomorrow, is the month of Teshuvah. It's the, it's the, the, the precursor to the great Rosh Hashanah, the great beginning of the year. It, it begins the 40 days of Teshuvah. Now is the perfect opportunity to wipe the slate clean and make a change. But your change, by the way, has to be, it cannot be, let me put it this way, it cannot be because you're after something. Although it's easy to say for human nature, we want to be better people. We want to be better fathers, mothers, wives, daughters, sisters, people of society. But the change that I'm talking about, that's all kind of a, a byproduct of what I'm talking about. The, the change that we need to be seeking is the change for change's sake. In other words, we need to want to change into better men and better women, better followers of God, simply because that's what God wants from us in this day. Amen. And change, my friends, requires change. No, see, you're looking at me like, duh. But you don't understand how profound that is. Because most people want to change without changing. Tell me how to follow God. All right, here you go. Here's step one, two, and three. Let's start with the basics. The, 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 the prerequisite for holiness is kosher eating. Let's start there. You cannot change. You cannot become uh, holy and still eat non-kosher. By kosher, I mean kosher, not biblically kosher. That's cute. I'm talking about kosher. Can't, there's no, that's a prerequisite. That's number one. All the sages agree. That's number one. And people right off the bat, like, I can't do that. That's not change. You're not able, you're not going to be able to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger by taking a pill. You take this product, you look like this. I saw something online. This guy's huge. He can bench press a small Honda. He's all cut and ripped. You know, it's ridiculous. I used to look like that when Rebecca married me. And it was advertising sub-supplement, and it says, he doesn't work out ever. I said, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Even if you're taking the steroids, you got to pump a weight. Somebody's buying that. Somebody's buying the pill. I'm taking the pill, and six months later, what happened? If you want change, you've got to change. You want to change, you've got to go to the gym. You want to change. You want to be religiously changed, you've got to religiously change. You've got to begin doing what God wants you to do. It's, we talked a lot lately on the Aliyah about the fact that the Torah is a gift, and yet we've got to work for it. It seems like a dichotomy in our minds, but it's not to God. Because whatever we work for, we value. Whatever we work for, we value. 
And it's a gift at the same time. God's tour in our life is a gift, but he wants us to toil in it. Why? Because when we toil in it, we value it. And yet, at the same time, it's a gift. The commentary to this, or the insight to this, says, Rabbeinu Yonah explains that it's only natural that the soul of the righteous shall remain in heaven while the soul of the wicked shall be cast down to earth. Everything is attracted to its source, as the verse says. Thus the dust returns to the ground as it was, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. The human body rejoins the earth from which it was formed, while the soul returns to God who formed the soul. Since the righteous lead a spiritual existence, their soul retains their heavenly character and indeed returns to heaven upon their earthly demise. However, says Rabbeinu Yonah, the soul of the wicked, since all its desire is for the wants of the body in this life and its desire becomes detached from service of the creator and separated from its source, it descends rather to death down to the earth to the place of its desire. In other words, if all you desire in life is the materiality and a symptom of this, that Amet just, we talked about it this morning, a symptom of, of, of that is a not wanting to tithe. There I go talking about it again. A symptom of a desire and a focus on materiality is the desire not to tithe. Why? Because you want your stuff and you're afraid if you let the stuff go, you won't get it, not realizing that you were given it as a gift to begin with. Someone say, I don't want to give my money away. That's the problem. It ain't your money. That's where you're missing it. And isn't it interesting, I shared a statistic earlier this week, that the wealthier you get, the less generous you become. Think about that for a second. It's not hard to figure out. The wealthier people are, the less generous they are. And that's because when, we're, when we don't have a lot, we're really seeking God and we're trying, to, you know, we're trying to work for God and we're able to give and we want to give and we're eke it out. The widow's might and then the wealthier you become, but you're surrounded by stuff, you get attached to the stuff. I'm not against stuff. I'm not against big houses and fancy cars. Anybody, if somebody wants to give me one, I won't, I won't rebuke you. <laughs> I'm not against fancy washes and, and, and I, don't, I don't, somebody who's super wealthy, praise God, man. Baruch Hashem. Awesome. May you do more and more and more and more. I, I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's, it's not money that's the problem. Money is, money is an amoral uh, tool. It can be used for good or for evil, just like a, just like a gun. When I open up my gun cabinet at home, <coughs> I do not have to tackle my rifles. I told you, not going to kill anybody today. I open up my gun case. It's like, honey, are you ready? ready to grab one? Ready? Because they want to go out here and kill people. No. It depends on who uses the tool. You can kill somebody with a hammer. I've hurt myself with a hammer. Trust me, I know. So he says, look, if you are somebody who is wanting that desire, you're, you've detached yourself. This is why people say, and 
you know, again, we want balance in our life. But people say, we want the message, we want the Bible message to be relevant. I'm not necessarily against that. We need balance. Torah is relevant to our everyday life. It absolutely is, 100%. Having said that, we want balance because we don't want just everything relevant. I need to know how to use the Bible to succeed at work. I need to know how to use the Bible to succeed in my relationship. I need to know how to use the Bible to succeed in my whatever, my hobby endeavor. I mean, that's all fine and good, but you've got to have balance in your life because if that's your whole focus, then you're into materiality. Rabbi Eliyahu Lopin said about this, he understood Rabbeinu Yonah not to be referring to the wicked, that is, people who have been entirely devoid of mitzvah observance. This rabbi is saying, you know what? This is everything he said is true, but we're not talking here about people who've never kept the Torah before. Because in a lot of ways, I shared an insight the grace of God inside. I think this is in the table sparks that as Jews, we don't necessarily look at non-Jewish nations and refer to them necessarily as pagans from the sense that they're, they are doing idolatry in rebellion to God because most of the time, 99.9% of the time, they only know what their fathers taught them. They have no idea anything else. So the, in, in the in halakhic sense of the world, word, they're not necessarily idolater. An idolater is somebody who knows God and turns away from him. Somebody who knows the Messiah is divine and says he's not. But that's idolatry. It's quite the reverse of what we think it is. Walking away from the God that we know is true to something else is idolatry. But if you just don't know what you don't know, God has a level of grace for you on that. But it doesn't give us a pass. You can't say, oh, now I know, but I'm going to pretend like I didn't know so I can go back under that shelter of grace. It doesn't work that way. So he's saying here, we're not talking about people that didn't know mitzvah observance. We're talking about people that did know mitzvah observance. He says, rather, he's referring to one who goes through life, a life of Torah observance, mechanically, going through the motions of prayer three times a day, reciting a blessing over everything he eats, doing what he was taught to do in his youth as if he was a trained circus monkey. That's what it says right here. As he matures, he never outgrows his childish practice. Just as he did the mitzvahs as a child, thinking only of the game He's playing with his parents so that they would allow him to play afterwards. So too, as an adult, he continues to perform them out of habit without any joy of enthusiasm while his mind is enthralled only with material pleasure and the incessant pursuit of wealth of which he will never have enough. The problem with our lust of our eyes is that it is never satisfied. It is never satisfied. I want to read to you something. I mentioned this article a couple of weeks ago from the, the Jewish Action magazine. Got a little tore up in the, torn up in the mail, pardon that. Um, the magazine of the Orthodox Union, you know, OU certifies the food and such. And so there's an article here that says, The State of Orthodox Belief. 
And so I want to read this opening statement here in this magazine article because, again, we want balance. We, we want to understand the good and the bad of every aspect of our life. And we don't want to put people on a pedestal because what happens, you know, people sometimes get involved and they think, well, I didn't grow up Jewish and you know, if you uh, were born in a Jewish home or if you were a Hebrew-speaking Israeli um, or whatever, you were raised in New York, that, you know, you're just, you're like at the epitome of faith. And you know everything, and if you can speak Hebrew fluently, then that, that means that you've read the entire Mishnah, the entire Gemara, every single Midrash, you've got it memorized, and all I need to do is ask you, can you please re- repeat to me Tractate Kiddushim? And you're like, okay. Not realizing that that doesn't exist at all in that community. And this, mag- this magazine article points us out. It's, it's, it's an, an encouragement and also something for us to be mindful of. Based on what I just said about we do our mitzvahs because we're like a trained circus monkey rather than somebody who is really meaning what we're doing. It says, a group of young Jewish day school graduates... These are kids that went to Orthodox day school and have graduated from their Orthodox school. They spent their entire education going through an Orthodox school. I want to hammer that home. We're not talking about they went there once a week or they visited for camp. I'm talking about they, 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 from, K, from K through 12, all of whom were raised in Orthodox homes, it says right here. Every single Friday night lighting the candles, Every single Shabbos, everything, 100%. They were recently asked about their belief in God. Not a single one could explain why he believes in God or why believing in the Torah differs from believing in any other belief system. He says, imparting Amuna has never been a simple matter But in the postmodern age of Instagram and ever-present distractions, instilling in our youth a deep and abiding faith that will guide them through the inevitable vicissitudes of life is more challenging than ever. And the question is, how can we bring God? Listen to this. How can we bring God into the classroom, into our homes, and most importantly, into our children's hearts and minds. That, are you kidding me? This is the magazine of the Orthodox Union. We're talking about kids who live in Orthodox homes, who are going to Orthodox Jewish schools. Who are, the boys are wrapping feeling, the girls are dressing modestly. There's never been pork served at the house. And we're asking, how do we bring God into our life? What are you talking about? Walk through the door every time, kiss the mezuzah. How do I bring God into my, into my house? This is what Yeshua is talking about when he says, you lack a mona. This is what he's talking about. Someone says, if I have Torah and if I'm Orthodox, why do I need Mashiach? This is why. I want to encourage everybody not to get, not to swoon 
over the person who's born Jewish, grew up in an Orthodox house, don't swoon. I'm not talking ill against them. We all have our own struggles in life. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying you've got to understand the enemy wants to trick you and always you th- make you think the grass is greener on the other side of the, of the fence. If I go over there, I, have re- I really feel like a Jew. You won't even be accepted over there. You know why? Because we're too busy over there trying to drag the people that grew up in an Orthodox home in an Orthodox Jewish house, we're trying to drag them across the finish line of faith. We don't need a bunch of other people that want it. They never grew up in it. That makes everything we're doing look like we're failing. Do you understand the psychology? Do I need to be a psychiatrist here? Which is the exact wrong attitude to have. Which is why the apostle Shaul said, look, y'all don't want the Mashiach. I'm going to go find people that want him. This blew my mind when I read this. But then I read this a couple of, two or three weeks ago, and then I read in the, in the Midrash that we do the mitzvahs like we're a circus monkey. And Hashem is saying, I don't want monkeys. I don't want, I don't want robots. I want people that want to love me and want to find me and want to choose me. Yeshua said, I'm going to go out and find a bunch of people that are not, don't yet know me. I'm going to go find a, a, a nation that's not yet called a nation and make them the nation of God. I'm going to bring them into this sheepfold, not some other sheep pen. I'm going to bring them into this sheepfold, and they're going to be one shepherd and one flock. I'm going to find those people. And Yeshua finds us and brings us in, and then we start looking around, where else can we go? And Kepha said, when, when Yeshua said, you eat my flesh, drink my blood, everybody left. He looked at the disciples and said, will you also leave me? I want you to think about that. He had 12 guys standing there. That's it. After all those thousands of people left him. 12 guys. The Mashiach. The Mashiach had 12 people left after he taught a hard message. Thousands of people wanting stuff. Where's the fish? Where's the loaves? Do the miracle. I'm blind. Let me see. Materiality, materiality, materiality. And he says, all right, you want this? You got to eat my flesh. They all leave. There's only 12 left. That's a failed congregation in most people's eyes. Kepha said, where else can we go? You're the only one who has all truth. You know, Shlomo and I have conversations sometime about what it means to be successful in this walk. And he asked me questions. And I don't know he's tired of hearing about it, but for me, a lot of it has to do with commitment. <laughs> Thank you. My attitude is, if Hashem doesn't send Mashiach, may he send him this year. Yes. But should he not then I'm going to be that rabbi who, God willing, is it well into my 80s that somebody like Lazier is going to have to help me come make Aliyah. In other words, my commitment to this community is I'm not going to leave. I'm not looking for an exit plan. I don't have it, God forbid, in my idea that say, if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll do this. And whenever that little whisper comes, we say, uh, uh, uh. 
I am here. I want you to know that. It's important for me to, for you to know that. That your children, God willing, I'm healthy. Rebetzin and I will be there for the bris. God willing, I'm healthy. I'll be there to see your kids under the hoopah. God willing, I'm healthy. I'll come up here at 80 some odd with a cracked voice and read from the, from the Torah. God willing, I'll carry the Torah if I'm healthy into my 80s dancing the Torah. Probably not in this building because it'll be a school, probably in some other building. But we have to understand something that we have to be we have to understand what's most important in life. And one of the things that's most important in your life is to be around people with whom and that you're committed and they're committed to you. We live in this weird world now where everything's Instagram. We just talked about it in the magazine. Everything's Facebook. I mean, you know, these are tools and they help us to connect and they help us to get the word out. But it's sad. We've lack, we lack community. We lack commitment. Somebody says something we don't like, we're not going to come back next week. Right? It's crazy. It says in verse 5 that a fool folds his hands. We talk about change for the month of Elul, and so this is fitting because change is going to require work, and it's going to require effort. You can't just say, God, change me. God, please. Oh, Hashem, please make, take this sin away from my life. Oh, I'm so regret it. And then it's like, all right, so what are you doing now? Oh, nothing. What are you going to do to change? What, what change are you going to make? Nothing. If you want to be a better husband, be a better husband. Wake up on Sunday morning and just start cleaning the house and watch your wife walk in and go, Are you okay, honey? <laughs> and then she, you say to her, you know, I was diving and realized I should do more to help, so I just thought I would just do the dishes. And your wife would be like, <laughs> And then the love and the romance. Rabbi Monk has a comment to this, uh, this portion um, of Re'eh, chapter 15 and, and verse 29. In order that Adonai, your God, will bless you in all, in all your handiwork that you may undertake. Notice what it says in Parsha Re'eh, that God will bless you in all of your handiwork that you may undertake. This verse teaches us that we may not assume that God will bless us even if we sit and do nothing. Rather, the blessing will come in all of our handiwork that you may undertake. This idea is further developed, however, in, in, in Rabbi, Rabbi Bakia. However, Cephas MS observes that it's not appropriate to go too far in the quest for one's livelihood. In other words, we've got to continue to have balance in our life, balance in our life. 
We've got to understand it requires effort, it requires work, but we can't go too far. Now, a couple more insights from the Midrash Shabbat before we conclude. We're going to be doing some of the effort that I want you to do is to uh, study the book of Mishle, the book of Proverbs, a chapter a day beginning, beginning tomorrow, a chapter a day to grow in wisdom, to study it, to read it. Some of you are not yet um, faithfully listening to the Aliyah day. I want to encourage you to do that, either by podcast or YouTube. And we have other things that are coming out too, other teachings are coming out. You need to uh, be faithful in your giving. These are things that we can do, practical things we can do to transition and change. If you're not yet eating kosher, start to eat kosher. End the excuses. All beginnings are hard, by the way. We talked about this last week in Tulsa. All beginnings are hard. Living in the shul life right now is much, much easier than it was when we first began. We have a building with restrooms. Mazel just said chairs. Some of you remember the days when you brought your own lawn chair to shul. Yes. Some of you remember the days when a wonderful church, First Baptist Louisville, many years ago, very graciously donated to us all of their old metal chairs. And they're upstairs now. And we went from lawn chairs to metal chairs That lasted for two weeks, and somebody said, I'm going to donate some money. (laughs) Maybe that's what we need to do. Take out all these chairs, put the metal chairs in, and say, they go away when the mikvah's paid for. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Shlomo. Got to have fun with it. I'll look over at Mikael during the offering and say, play it again, Sam. <laughs> look, how powerful is, is Hashem's teshuva? Just, just a couple more insights here. Rabbi Yehuda in the Midrash Rabbah to Kohelet. Man, there's so much to share here, but well, anyway. Rabbi Yehuda, the son of Rabbi Simon, uh, interprets the verse... And he talks about Ezekiel's um, vision of the bones. Where the verse, it says, I consider the fortune of the dead who have already died. It says, at that time, Ezekiel stood at the valley and said, O dry bones, hear the word of Adonai, Ezekiel 37.4. Immediately it says, and the bones drew near, each bone to its matching bone. Whereupon God said to them in earlier times, during your lifetime, I said to you, Shema. I said, during your lifetime, I said to you, Shemul Devarim Adonai Bet Yaakov. I said to you, hear the word of Adonai, O house of Jacob, Jeremiah 2.4. But you did not listen. Yet now you have listened. During your lifetime, you do not listen to me. But after your death, you listen. Regarding that time, it says in our, in our verse, I considered more praiseworthy the dead who have already died than the living who are still alive. The moral to that story is that God's ability to bring tshuva 
is so strong and so powerful that even if the very bones of our bodies are dried up and dead, if we will yet heed his voice, those dry bones can live. He said, go and speak to a people that don't know my name. Go and teach the nations who don't know. They are dead, as it were, but if you speak to them, they will hear. People say, but Rabbi, I really feel like I'm really called to reach my people, the Jewish people. And I said, you really want to bring the Jewish people to Mashiach? Then you've got to do what, what Joseph did. The way in which he brought his brothers to Egypt to meet him so that he could be revealed to them is that everybody who came to buy grain in Egypt, he said, if you want to buy grain, you've got to get circumcised. He converted Egypt, and they referred to him literally as the savior of the world, literally. It's in the Midrash. And Jacob said to his sons, I hear there's a savior in Egypt. Why did he say that? Because Egypt was being transformed by Joseph. And the brothers, that drew the brothers to Egypt to meet the Mashiach. So if you really want to reach Jewish people, the answer is to reach the nations and encourage them to become circumcised, to become converts, to come in to the kingdom of heaven. That's how you reach people. So I want everybody, everybody during these 40 days not just to be praying for yourselves and, and, and making sincere tshuva. I want you to be praying for the communities around us, for your community around you, for your neighborhood, that people's eyes would be open. I want you to consider inviting people who are not yet observant to come to your house for Shabbat dinner, <clears throat> to come to your house for Havdalah, invite them to the synagogue, Invite them to watch online. You say, well, some of these people I've, I've invited before. Do it again. It's a new season. It's a new month. It's renewal. You say, well, I've, I've invited them many times. They haven't come. Do it now. This is the time where the king is in the field. And we need to be going into the highways and byways and doing what we can to invite people to come in. This is the season for that. But Baruch Abba, Bashem Adonai.